Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, August 29th, 2022. Continuing the theme of shamelessly podcasting with all of my family members, today I'm joined by Dr. David Fox, who is a doctor in Chicago specializing in primary care, as well as weight loss and obesity. And he's my younger brother. I've been hunting David for a while to be on the podcast, and he's been ducking and dodging me. But now that our dad was on it, he really couldn't turn me down anymore. Aside from being a terrific brother, David has a very interesting medical practice at Northwestern University in Chicago. He does a lot of primary care, but he also specializes in the medical management of weight loss. So I thought he would be a terrific guest to talk about that on this podcast. For the record, David and I do look alike, but he is most definitely younger, better looking, and more athletic. He's really one of the healthier people I know, and frankly, between you and me, it's a little intimidating. But he's also super chill, totally unflappable, and his patients love him. All right. Enjoy Brother David. Have a great week, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Helpful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Dr. David Fox, Brother David, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. It's not easy to get our schedules aligned as we're both doctors, we both have families, we're in different time zones, but Unfortunately for you and fortunately for me, you're stuck home with COVID again. I have plenty of time on my hands as I'm isolating uh, for five days from COVID. I have the house to myself, no wife and children. They actually went up to um, our parents' cabin in Michigan, which, is, which was the original plan. And then I got COVID the day before our vacation was scheduled to start. So it works out. This interview couldn't have been timed better. And we were talking about, for, first of all, for all the listeners, David did not get COVID at the Fox wedding a few weeks ago. We, we've confirmed from all, you know, we, we contacted the CDC and did strain testing and contact tracing, and it was not from the wedding, and you believe it was from uh, pickup basketball. Right. The, right. The timeline does not match the wedding. Uh, getting COVID that what your listeners didn't hear is that I also got COVID about two months ago. So I thought I was going to be in the clear for a little while, which allowed us to come to your daughter's lovely wedding. We had a great time. I did not get COVID there. The culprit is pick up basketball in a gym. And uh, that's where I got it the first time as well. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> well, tell our listeners, pick up basketball. That seems to be it's not an airplane. It's not a wedding. It's pick up basketball. Be very careful with that. So very dangerous activity very on dangerous. many fronts. Yeah. So I, but I'm glad you sound well. I'm, I assume this is just one of those. I have COVID, nothing to do, but you're not violently ill. Pretty much minimal symptoms, uh, but I'm just doing my due diligence with uh, proper isolation. <laughs> well, hope your family has fun without you. What are you going to do? I'm sure, I'm sure mom and dad will appreciate seeing your kids even without you. Although, as everyone knows, you were always their favorite. So, what are you going to do? Yeah. I'd like to think they're missing me a little bit, but I, I do know for a fact they're having a lot of fun. 
we were planning on doing this anyways, even though uh, you know before your schedule allowed for it. And I wanted to have you on first of all because I'm I'm going through the family one at a time. And now that Dad has made his podcast debut and is a is a sensation, and you know People Magazine is calling him up, and you know ESPN's calling him <laughs> up, and you know everyone wants to have him on. Uh, I figured, hey, let's do the same thing for you. But you know, you have a really um, interesting medical practice. Uh, and if our listeners, David is trained principally in internal medicine, primary care, but you did sort of sp- subspecialty training in weight management or obesity medicine. And I definitely wanted to talk about that with you as well. So maybe just give a, our listeners a sense of, well, I know who you are, but tell them who you are, sort of where you're from, what your training was like, and how you decided to sort of get into that niche field. Sure. Well, firstly, I'd like to say that I really enjoyed uh, the interviews you did with Dad. I really didn't want to follow him. This is a very tough act to follow, but you know it is what it is, and I'll do my best. We're going to put a lot of podcasts between you two, so don't worry about it. it won't be back. <laughs> okay, to good. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, um, so I've been in practice for about a decade now. Um, I finished my residency training in internal medicine ten years ago, and then I uh, joined the faculty at. Uh, what's now called Northwestern Medicine. Back when I joined, it was actually a private practice. I did internal medicine training, and my focus was primary care, the the care of the adult patient for you know their general medical problems. Overweight and obesity afflicts many people in our society, as we all know, and that's a part of any primary care practice. However, I became interested in the specialty of obesity medicine, probably a few years into practice, um, several of my colleagues did it. And one of them uh, retired uh, while I was in my first few years of practice. And I just happened to be downhill and got many of her patients uh, who were looking for a new doctor. So I kind of, you know, they were used to having an obesity doctor manage them. So I kind of fell into it that way. You know, I realized this is this is a, a problem that affects so many people. It's the root cause of a lot of the other problems we spend so much time treating primary care, like hypertension, diabetes, sleep apnea, and the list goes on. So I thought, man, if you can get someone to lose weight, you're really helping them out. And um, the obesity medicine field, there have been a lot of developments around the time I started practice. Weight loss surgery has been around for, I don't know, two, three decades, but the surgeries were becoming more refined. What really happened was there were some medications that became FDA approved around 10 years ago. And uh, so now we have some some more tools under our belt to treat obesity. So, you know, for the reasons of um, just being interested in it, and then also there were actually more things we can do to help people with obesity, I decided to kind of make this my my niche, my subspecialty. I also realized there weren't a lot of doctors who who did this. And I, I just saw an opportunity there. And then I got some special training in obesity medicine. I became board certified. So now I do primary care and I uh, practice obesity medicine, which means that people make referrals to me to help their patients lose weight, a combination of uh, lifestyle advice, uh, prescription of medications, and then the people who have weight loss surgeries, 
I'm not a surgeon. I don't do the surgery, but I do follow them uh, before and afterwards to help with the medical management of these people. How does it break down between primary care and, and obesity medicine? Two thirds of the population is overweight and obese. So the lines are blurred. If you practice primary care, you're doing obesity medicine. Right. <laughs> so I'd say the majority of my patients, I'm, I'm doing that. The percentage of patients that are specifically referred to me to take care of their obesity, probably 10 to 20%. Right. Okay. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when I was looking at your profile online uh, at Northwestern, you know, and it's unusual to have this many reviews. You have over 1,100 reviews and you are highly rated. You're like a 4.9 out of five stars, which is almost unheard of on the internet. Cause again, only typically angry people go there to comment. So, <laughs> so you, you have tremendous respect, at least amongst the 1100 people who went online and decided to do something and write about you. So strong work there. That is unusual, uh, in my experience and in a good way. So many people, as you said, have either they're overweight or they have obesity, or they're concerned about their weight or their doctor is concerned about their weight. Why would someone see a physician, right? Come to see you versus, let's say, uh, a nutritionist or going to like a weight loss program or something? Like, how do they find their way into your office? Because I don't think everyone's first inclination in society is, oh, let me see a doctor about it, even though maybe it should be that. It, it isn't sort of in the, in the culture we live in. How, how do they find you? Most of these patients have tried to lose weight on their own. They've They've done diets, either just self-directed, things they read on the internet, or they've been part of guided programs such as Weight Watchers and many of the others. So these people have made attempts to lose weight on their own, and they haven't been successful. And this is when they seek the help of a doctor. They might be interested in a medication. They might be interested in a surgery, or they might just be interested in some novel advice I might have something that they haven't tried. Would you say most of the people, they find you on their own? Or is it that they're referred to by, again, a surgeon, you know, first who sees them and says, you know what, before you have surgery, I want you to meet this guy because you're going to follow with him before, during and after. Right. I would say a mix. Mm -hmm. Many people are referred to me by other providers, either internists who are looking for an obesity specialist to help with their patient or the surgeon who refers them to me because they're not a surgical candidate, or they are a surgical candidate, and they need to see me as part of just the post-surgical process. But many people uh, just do an online search. We all know that the internet is easy to find people nowadays, and they search the Northwestern website, let's say, and I think that they're able to find me and see that I have a focus on obesity management. It's interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk about before we go into some of the specifics is just from sort of like a like a global perspective, you know, you and I are bouncing back and forth the terms overweight and obesity. And in, in medicine, this is normal. This is common. Like we refer to it as, you know, whether it's a condition or a status or whatever it is, but we know that, you know, there, there are ways we measure these things and there's risks of certain outcomes and you can sort of take someone's weight or body mass index and correlate it with the risk of, like you said, hypertension, diabetes and whatnot, meaning it's not stigmatized in medicine. It's just like, okay, it's like saying someone has well, whatever, if they're over a certain age, they have certain risk factors, or if they have a family history, something they have risk factors, it's just on the list. Mm -hmm. But in right. society, obviously, people's weights and people's 
body types are very uh, sensitive. They're very stigmatized for better or worse, right? There's, there's a lot of that around it. And how do you sort of view the concept of, you know, obesity as a, a medical issue versus something that sort of produces shame? Because I know that there's, you know, obviously this, this idea that we should respect and love all body types, which might be true. But on the other hand, we also know medically that certain body types might be due to, you know, overweight and obesity, which we know are health issues. And so how do you balance sort of those two potentially competing values, let's say? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, you thought you, you thought your brother's just going to throw <laughs> softballs at you, say, oh, hey, tell us about yourself, Dave. No, I'm, we're going right in there. It's like 60 minutes, Dave. Yeah. We're going out. Right. By great question, I mean a very <laughs> difficult one. Yeah. So weight is a very sensitive topic, you know, as we know. And as a physician, you have to approach it very gingerly. You have to be very respectful. And the language you use matters. People may not like it if you say obese. You're right. It has a lot of stigma attached to it. Now, these are medical terms. As you mentioned, overweight, obesity, this is the medical term. There are definitions based on the body mass index. So when I'm thinking about it medically, this is how I'm categorizing it in my mind. When I'm talking to a patient, you know, I may not use these words. You know, there's, there's a lot of debate. How much of obesity is someone's fault? And... I tend to look at it somewhere in the middle. It's a very complex disease and it is a disease. In other words, there are chemical changes in our body that make it very difficult to lose weight. I would look at it like smoking, okay? Smoking, it, it's very difficult to quit cigarettes. There are chemical changes in your body that fight you and oftentimes it takes many attempts before you successfully quit. Obesity has a genetic basis. You know, it has a, uh, once you gain the weight, it's very difficult to lose for a lot of uh, biological reasons. So obesity is certainly not entirely uh, someone's own doing. Now, I do like to also think we do have some control over this. And uh, I've seen it, you know, people uh, through lifestyle changes, medicate, certainly medications and surgeries, uh, weight loss is achievable. So I think the main point is when we're talking to patients with obesity, we should not blame them. We should not uh, imply that it's entirely their fault. And if they would just make the changes they need to make, they can lose the weight. But we also have to be encouraging and not be defeatist and say, well, sorry, you're, you have obesity. There, you have no chance of losing this weight. So I kind of try to uh, um, walk that fine line. And, and I think that that's what works for me in my practice. And what about the difference between, you know, some people argue, you know, my doctor's always focused on the number, right? My weight or my BMI, as opposed to other health measures. Is that real? Meaning the doctors shouldn't focus on the BMI if all their other health measures are normal uh, or healthy? Or is it something like, well, that's kind of a, you know, sort of like an excuse to not, you know, to not try to lose the weight, which we know is not good for you. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, where you fall on that on that line. Yeah, there, there's the um, term in the literature. It's called the, the medically healthy obesity, meaning someone just has obesity and they don't have a lot of the other metabolic complications known to come with it, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, et cetera. 
So is this person at the same level of risk as someone who doesn't have obesity? And the short answer is no, they're not the same as someone who doesn't have obesity. So just obesity itself without the other metabolic problems, you're still at risk for many of the complications of obesity. So I, I think someone who has obesity but doesn't have these other problems, that's great. I mean, obviously that's, that's better than having those problems, but I, I still view it as, you know, something is a medical condition that we should work on treating. Okay, so someone, someone comes to you uh, either on their own or they're sent, and let's say they're that person, right? They have a, a sort of a definition of obesity based on their height, their weight, their body mass index, and they otherwise, you know, they don't have hypertension, they don't have diabetes. What is your initial evaluation of them, like quote unquote the workup? And then what would be your initial uh, sort of recommendations to them for management or treatment? Again, assuming they've they've done the things that people usually have tried to do. I tried this diet, I tried that diet, I had a hard time with this, I lost weight with this, but then I gained it back. Sort of the stories we all have. Yeah, a new patient presenting to me with obesity, and they've tried a number of different things, and uh, they have some results, usually unsustained. In terms of ruling out secondary causes of obesity, yeah, we should definitely have that in mind, but those are rare. You know, I might check their thyroid function. I might physically, you know, I will physically examine them, but look for signs of other, other endocrine disease. Are they on some medications that might cause them to gain weight? So yes, I'm, I'm definitely looking into these secondary causes of obesity. But let's say they don't have any of that, which most of them don't. It depends on the patient, depends on where they are in their journey of weight loss. Some of them want to go straight to medications and surgeries. They've tried everything else. Great. I kind of focus on that. Some people are not ready for that. They kind of want to still focus more on, on lifestyle management. So I focus on that. So I guess what I'm saying is I try to gauge and see where they're at and uh, make a joint decision with them. But I try to cover uh, lifestyle you know, management and then medication options and surgical options uh, for the appropriate candidates. Do you ever have people coming to you who let's say aren't obese, they have maybe a little bit of extra weight they want to lose. You know, obviously some of it is related to health, but some of it might be, you know, sort of cosmetic body image. They wanted to fit in different clothes. They want to feel better. Do you have people come to you for this? Meaning they're not going to go sick. They don't have a lot of issues. And if you saw them, you wouldn't, you know, spend too much time on it with them. But are there people come to you to try to focus to sort of, you know, get them over the, the hump, so to speak with that? Yes. Uh, I have a lot of patients like that. They're mildly overweight. Right. And uh, they do not like the way they look. They want to lose some weight. I work with them. You know, it, yeah, it's individualized. Uh, obviously, they're not someone I'd send to bariatric surgery. They're not appropriate candidates. And they may need to not even be appropriate candidates for medication. So yeah, I, uh, of course, I, I do get those patients and I try to work with them to achieve uh, their goals of weight, assuming uh, we're doing it in a healthy way. And and they're trying to achieve a healthy weight. I get the occasional patient who's at the lower end of normal weight and wants to lose, and and that's sort of a different problem. I have to have their their health in my mind first and foremost. Right, right. No, that makes sense. So, okay, so someone comes to you, let's say the, the first person we're talking about, they qualify as obesity, they don't have any other medical issues, you've done the workup and it's normal, and 
let's go through those stages because you sort of mentioned based on what they're ready for. So I assume the the first would be lifestyle modification. So what do you normally go through with them? Is it is it very aggressive or do you start very sort of gently, you know, let's add a little of this, little of that? What have you found to be helpful? Yeah. So I'm not a big believer in aggressive diet changes or aggressive exercise. You know, these are these are changes that I want them to be able to sustain for their entire lives. So I'm not going to put them on some extremely low calorie diet they can only do for a few months to lose a lot of weight and then uh, and then gradually taper off of that. I tend to counsel on uh, like a, a slow and sustained weight loss. You know, they didn't get they didn't get there overnight. They're not going to lose the weight overnight. But you know, some uh, sensible dietary changes, uh, maybe certain specific diets. And, you know, I'm trying to get them to lose maybe one to two pounds a week. Uh, that's sort of the pace that I tell them. We try to focus on, we set a goal of about five to 10% weight loss. The studies show that that's uh, a reasonable goal for most people, the, the five to 10% range. And then if they achieve that, then maybe we try to go for another five to 10%. So yeah, basically counseling on my end, diet, exercise, uh, steady changes that they could sustain over time. Uh, we may get a dietitian involved at that point as well. What diets do you find are the most helpful for this type of slow, steady weight loss? Obviously, a lot of crash diets out there. So let's just, the, the ones that you feel have a lot of sustainability, and obviously it'll differ for every person, but just sort of general strokes, what would be the ones that you think are probably top shelf good diets? My favorite is Mediterranean diet. That one probably has the most evidence behind it in terms of not just maintaining healthy weight, just maintaining general health. It's been studied with heart health and brain health. You know, so eating a lot of plant-based foods, trying to avoid added sugar and refined carbohydrates. So um, all those things that with white flour, you know, trying to limit red meat intake, you know, you could focus more on fish and poultry, with her, which are a little bit healthier and um, eating healthier fats. Some other diets that people do that I think are reasonable, there's, you know, there's the low, a lot of variations of the low carbohydrate diet that works for a lot of people, but it has to be done in a healthy way. Some people get results with intermittent fasting, which I think is also reasonable if done in a healthy way. There are a lot of variations of that. So I would say those are my three. Mediterranean diet being number one, and then and then the other two, I think, are are reasonable. And what about for exercise? Do you have specific ones you like people to do or just anything that gets them, you know, sort of cardiovascularly moving? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? Some people, I say many people are not exercising at all. Right. I want, I'm happy to get them to do anything. <laughs> I'm not going to be really picky about what exercise to do. I'm trying to get them from not exercising to exercising. Right. I try to set a goal of 150 minutes a week of moderate to higher intensity exercise, which means you're sweating, uh, you have a hard time holding a conversation. So it's not just a, a walking your dog, but, but something where you're working a little bit harder than that. And I say, can you just give me 30 minutes, five days a week? A lot of people can do that. Now, if it's less great, I'll take anything. If you, you've got 20 minutes a week, that's fine. But I try to set a goal of 150 minutes a week, which most patients, if they, if they really 
take a close look at their schedule, they're able to fit in. Yeah. And, and, I, and I say, uh, yeah, get some aerobic, get some strength. Don't forget about stretching, mobility, and then also uh, stuff with balance. So I try to, I have them incorporate those four things. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Even if it's, like you said, maybe not walking your dog, but if you went on a treadmill and walked at a certain speed at a certain incline, you know, like I'm huffing and puffing a little bit. Okay. Right. And you could do it 30 minutes. You can watch TV while you do it. You can listen to a podcast like this one, for example, when you're doing it, you can listen to music. You can even potentially, if you're with someone else, maybe hold a conversation. If not, you could do it before and after and just go with someone. People usually have that kind of time uh, if they sort of think in advance, you know, all they have to figure out sort of is when I'm done, do I need a shower and where am I going to do it? Right. Like if I, you know, like if I decide I'm going to exercise on my way to work, you know, instead of taking the bus, I'm going to, you know, jog there. All right. Is there a shower near work or something like that? But or at home at night or whatever it might be. Nowadays, we have so many options for home exercise, as many of us learned during the pandemic. So I say, look, you don't have time to go to the gym. I get it. Or you don't want to go to the gym, cost, the, the safety. You could work out at home. And there's so many different ways you can do that if you want to get machines or you don't even need any equipment. You know, there's some good stuff you could do with hardly any equipment. Apps on the phone. I might give them some recommendations for that. People should be able to make some time for exercise. Yeah. And I think that um, as long as they're not doing pickup basketball, wherever the hell it is, you play pickup basketball in that <laughs> COVID infested gym that you go to uh, every much. month, apparently. Yeah. I don't know if it's helped your practice, but, you know, for people who don't know what you look like, I mean, you're pretty fit. I mean, you're, you're, you're thin, you eat healthy, you exercise and you're not, you're not like a freak, you know, you're not like crazy about it. You're not obsessed or anything, but you just in general have always been very health conscious, I would say, or conscientious. And I think that it's, I don't know if it works to your advantage or disadvantage when people, you know, take a look at you and they don't see someone who's like, you know, oh my God, this is like, you know, the incredible Hulk type of person, but you're like, wow, that guy's fit. You know, he looks, he looks like he's in good shape. Hey, well, I appreciate you saying that. Yes. I put a lot of thought and effort into my own health and, and, um, eating healthy and exercising. My wife is the same way. Thank goodness. She cooks for us and she makes very healthy food. And I think, I actually do think that's important. You have to set an example for your patients. If you're telling them to do something, but they get the feeling that you're not practicing what you're preaching, I think they're less likely to follow your advice. For example, if your doctor is telling you to quit smoking, but they smoke, are you more likely to quit? I think probably not. So in, in, uh, oftentimes patients ask me, well, what do you do? And I tell them, I think it's important to set a good example. And that's not, the, that's not why I'm, I live a healthy lifestyle. I think I would do that anyway. But I do think that that goes a long way for people taking you seriously. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Now, if someone is trying these things and it's not working or you've you know, decided from the outset, you know, let's, let's try medication. So just as a, as a general overview for our listeners, because obviously everything is going to be very individualized. What's out there and how effective are they medication-wise? Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, over the past decade, a lot of new medications have come out. So there are some that are available in pill form. I would say the average amount of weight loss with most of these is somewhere in the 5 to 10% range. And that's beyond what you would lose with diet and exercise. So the pill itself will give you a 5 to 10% weight loss. They have some side effects. Uh, potentially. And they do have to be taken long term. 
which a lot of patients don't get that initially. They're like, okay, I'll take the medicine and I'll lose the weight and then I'll discontinue it. Well, it doesn't work that way. You tend to regain the weight if you stop it. So we're talking about a long-term commitment to the medication if you want it, if you want sustained results. Over the past five years or so, a new group of medication has come out. It's actually uh, used to treat diabetes. Just They're called GLP-1 receptor agonists. So these are medications that improve uh, blood sugar regulation, but we noticed that they also have tremendous effects on satiety and help people lose weight. And now there are some drugs in that class available just for the purposes of obesity. And one study very recently within the past few months showed that one of these drugs helped you lose about 20% of your weight, which is amazing. That's almost surgical numbers. So I would say these drugs probably somewhere between 10 and 20% of your weight. So those are clearly the best. The problem is cost, which is a whole nother topic. For some reason, insurers do not like to cover the medications to treat obesity. Why not? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, insurance is, I don't, I don't quite understand it all, but <laughs> no one does. <laughs> right. For some reason, these are not well covered. And, you know, the cost can be hundreds of dollars a month. And then in the case of these newer drugs, it's a thousand plus dollars a month. A lot of people understandably don't want to pay that. So I think cost is a big barrier, but, you know, if the cost can come down or one day they, they go to generic, uh, right now, th those are the best ones. And th those medications are injectables, right? Correct. Injectable. Uh, the newer ones, it's just a once weekly injection. It's subcutaneous, which means under the skin. Not a big deal. You do it at home. You just you have a tiny little needle. You just jab it into your, the skin of your abdomen once a week. So most people are, are tolerant of that. Right. The insurance is odd because, you know, they cover a lot of the surgery, which is also expensive. Yeah. And the thought right. and the reason the insurance carriers do it is not because they're magnanimous and wonderful, you know, and care about everyone. It's because overall in the long term, it's going to reduce their costs because if you, you know, reduce one person from getting diabetes and then they don't need their leg amputated, you know, and it's like that's a big deal. And so they sort of look at it as, as a long term cost effect and presumably with more time, if these things end up being very effective and producing a lot of results. You have to imagine from, just from a dollar's perspective, they'll cover it at some point. I mean, who knows when that'll be, but it does make sense. Yeah. I mean, the evidence is there. Uh, these drugs are FDA approved. I would think that, yeah, it would reduce their, their costs overall. If you can help someone lose weight, all the costs of managing all these other problems presumably would go down. But yeah, the drugs are expensive. They might be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, one third of the population is eligible for these drugs that cost a thousand dollars a month. Maybe that's just too much money to spend up front. But so whatever whatever their calculations are. But in terms of what's best for the patient, we need to have these drugs cost less. Right. Right. What is what are your thoughts on surgery? Obviously, people come to you who are planning surgery, so it's you're not likely to talk them out of it, let's say. But just from the front end, is it something that you're supportive of or something that you you know think is, is a problem that people are getting surgery for weight loss i know you once mentioned that it's, it's sort of ironic that you know the thing that seems to work the best is removing half of our intestines i remember you telling me that once but obviously people do it and they have a lot of success with it so i'm curious what your thoughts are i'm a supporter of the surgery and they are very effective and um and safe generally safe 
some people, I actually am convincing them. I'm trying to convince them to do surgery. I think that's the best choice for them. So it's not just them asking me about it. There are two main surgeries that are the most popular in, in our institution. They're the only two that are offered is the gastric sleeve and the gastric bypass. The sleeve is you remove uh, just the majority of the stomach. And then the bypass, you do, you move majority of the stomach plus you remove some of the small intestine from the circulation. So both of them are done laparoscopic, which means that uh, they make fewer incisions. They go in there and do it with cameras. So, and the surgeons who do them primarily specialize in this. So they do whatever, a thousand per year or whatever the numbers are, which we know matters with surgery. Um, how many, you know, how, how many times has your surgeon done this? So they're generally very safe. Anytime you have surgery, there's a small risk of complications. But I, I, the, the complication rate is, is no worse than a lot of other surgeries that people have, like getting their gallbladder out or their appendix out. And it's certainly a lower risk surgery than getting your knees and hips replaced, which might be in your future if you don't lose the weight. So I think the surgeries are a great tool for those who qualify and who have failed uh, to lose weight uh, with, with other conservative measures. All right. No, it's good to know. I have often seen people before pregnancy who come to me because, you know, as you know, uh, their weight can be an issue in pregnancy. And they ask me sort of my general advice. And there are some people I'm saying, listen, you should just get the surgery, wait a year, and then get pregnant. And all of your pregnancies will be lower risk than if you got pregnant now. Right. And that's sometimes a, uh, it's a tough pill for people to swallow, so to speak. You know, people don't usually think growing up that they're going to need surgery to lose weight. And it is it is tough. Like, I, yeah, that's hard. But but it might be the one thing that's going to work. And there's a lot of evidence that for people who have it and they lose a lot of weight, they are healthier. It's like the one thing that we have that cures diabetes and hypertension, cures it, not just manages it. It just takes it away. It's interesting. The people who have these surgeries, their diabetes is cured within days. So it there's there's something to the surgery beyond the weight loss that helps with a lot of these metabolic problems. So, you know, there's a complex um, hormonal signal signaling uh, that goes on and the surgery somehow corrects that. And I, I'd also like to point out the people have the surgery, typically the results are sustained. Some people gain the weight back, that happens, but usually they lose about one third of their weight and uh, that's sustained over time, which makes a huge difference in their health in the long term. Yeah, I've also found that for for people who have obesity and they lose their weight, whether it's from surgery or from a medication or they're fortunate enough to be able to do it over time with diet and exercise, one of the things that happens is I call it the snowball effect that, you know, when they first start, you know, just like walking a few miles, you know, that exercise is so hard to do, right? They're, you know, they're so out of breath and, you know, they have all this weight and they, they really don't feel good about themselves. And then you lose five or 10 pounds and then you're walking a mile and a half or two miles and then you lose another five or 10 pounds. And as these things get easier and you start seeing results, both in terms of your weight, your size and your exercise tolerance, it's sort of, you get that like endorphin kick. Like, I love this, you know, and it really is that positive reinforcement that sometimes they just need the start. And if the start is surgery and they start losing that weight, they feel so great. They, some, a lot of people become like these avid exercisers and they start, you know, running marathons just because they're so into it because they keep getting that positive reinforcement from feeling better and healthier every day over the course of several years. 
Yeah, and I think you just hit on a very important point uh, that I'd like to expand on. You asked why do you know what are people looking for me when they come see me? They need to get started. They just need to get started, and then yes, I agree with that snowball effect. So I'm just trying to get something going, and you know, let's get some exercise started. Let's make some dietary changes, and the other key is uh, very frequent follow up. I want to see them quarterly. I don't say, all right, make some changes, come back in a year. No, that's too long. You got to see them regularly, continue to provide them with that reinforcement. They have a little bit of, of a setback. You have to be encouraging and you know, try to get them back on track. And then, yeah, they lose five pounds, they lose 10 pounds, and then they gain that confidence. And then that allows them to lose more. Another point I want to make is, you know, the studies show that exercise doesn't contribute that much to weight loss. I think my interpretation of that is maybe in of itself, it doesn't, but I think that if you can get someone to exercise, they feel better about themselves. I think they start eating healthier as well. And I think ultimately it just leads to a healthier mindset that does, you know, play a big role in in their ability to lose weight. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even touched upon the whole mental health aspect of this that is obviously very positive as well. And I think it's all uh, intertwined. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is great. I love it. I love talking to you in general. I don't get to see you enough. Come to New York more often. I'll try to get to Chicago from time to time. But really, this is great. I'm sure our listeners will very much appreciate it. If you are in the Chicagoland region, you can look up Dr. David Fox at Northwestern. Uh, He looks like me, but younger, more handsome and in better shape. And, uh, and yeah, you can make an appointment to see him as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor to be invited on your show. And I, I always love talking to you about anything. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan. Paid sponsors of the podcast are not involved in the creation of the podcast or any of the content. Support for our sponsors should not be interpreted as medical advice from the podcast, the host, or the guests.